0: If this is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. We've been in a series for the last six weeks called Drifting, and we have reached the final message in that series today. And if you've been with us the whole series, then you might recall that we started out on the very first week talking about that day that Jesus went up into the temple courts, and what did he do there? He drove out all the money changers, do you remember? And all the people buying and selling animals there, and he confronted them, and he said, my house will be called a house of... Wow, man, we're going to have to, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's try that again because I was not convincing. My house be called a house of yeah. prayer. There we go. I thought you weren't listening for six weeks. I don't know. I'm kidding. And he says, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. That's right. Very good. You see, there was a foundational problem that Jesus was confronting that day. And the problem was this. Something that was God's vision, something that was of his design, had been messed with. And you see, there's a foundational problem, I think, that Jesus is confronting right here in America today in his church. That something that's of God's vision, something that is of his design, is really being messed with. And in many ways, we've kind of argued over the last six weeks that that if the Lord were to walk into many churches today, he would say, my father's house is going to be this, but you have turned it into this. And I've been trying to shed light on that fact ...during this series that I think the church in America is following that very same path. Now, do I mean all churches in America? Do I mean every Christian? Absolutely not. But if you do take a step back and you look at how the church in America is trending... ...then it's pretty obvious that there are some things today that that Christians are finding acceptable... ...that God says is unacceptable. That we are embracing, the church is embracing some things that the Bible clearly tells us you should not embrace... That we are actually, as Christians, to be separate from from that. And I'll just be honest with you personally, and I I hope you know this, it is hard to watch the bride of Christ cheat on the bridegroom by embracing and justifying behaviors that unequivocally result in spiritual immorality. It's, It's hard to listen to those who twist up God's Word. It's tough when you hear it from Progressive pastors and progressive Bible college, you know, uh, professors. They just try to make the Bible um, mean things that it clearly does not mean. And why do they do this? It's anybody's guess, but it usually has something to do with an attempt to harmonize biblical conviction and cultural opinion together. And when you try to harmonize those two things, what you actually create and what is being created is a spiritual storm that when it blows through, leads nothing but listing and drifting churches in its wake. And I've wondered throughout this series, am I being too harsh? Sometimes when I go home on Sundays, I wonder if I was too harsh. But then I'm reminded of what Paul said he wasn't too harsh. He wasn't too critical. Do you remember what he said to the Christians in, in Galatia? We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. He said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you have received and accepted, then let them be under God's curse. So this is very serious things that we're talking about. I've personally, I've been very frank with you in this series because I don't ever want you to wonder where I or the elders of this church stand when it comes to such critical matters. So now as we bring this series to a conclusion, I'd like for us to acknowledge something today as a church. I'd like for us to recognize something. That when it comes to drifting churches, there is something much more sinister in the mix than just false teachers. There is something that is darker at work than simply a congregation embracing some secular thinking and some behaviors. There's more going on than Christians forgetting their first love, or Christians who compromise some things for the sake of comfort, or Christians growing into a lukewarm faith. Because you see, lurking in the shadows of every drifting church is something that is unseen. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, and we've looked at this too, but in his letter to Timothy, he tries to shed light on that which is dark. He tries to, to shed light onto something that is unseen so that Timothy can recognize it when it shows up. So it says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. You can follow along on the screen if you like. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And now Paul is saying, now Timothy, you need to be wise, you need to watch your life, you need to watch your doctrine closely because there are, is a reality out there of deceiving spirits and demons. Now we've explored many reasons for why a church would, would drift today and why, why Christians are are, are seen to be drifting towards the secular. But behind all drifting is a presence. There's an evil reality that is on the clock 24 hours a day, seven days a week, opposing the work of Jesus at every turn. And I'm talking about none other than Satan himself. Also known as the devil and his many demons who relentlessly oppose the church. Paul tells Timothy in later times, this is something's going to happen. Now, was Paul referring to, you know, a general understanding that Christians had that they were living in the last days or the later times? Probably, was he referring to, hey Timothy, when I'm long gone, this is what you can expect. Probably, he's probably referring to a time that started during his life, and it's certainly reality in our time today. Paul's warning him that there is a darkness. There's a, these deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. It's going to be terrible for the church. So let's read it again. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through what he calls hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So there's these deceiving spirits, they've got one goal, to pull people away from the church, get them to turn their back on Jesus, and how do these deceiving spirits operate? Well, he says, through hypocritical liars. Now, we know that in the context of 1 Timothy, this letter that he wrote, the big problem that Timothy had to look out for were false teachers. And so Paul is saying, these false teachers, these hypocritical liars are actually the mouthpieces of the devil he's saying that they are being their human agents if you will enacting what the devil really wants And and I'm wondering does it come as a little bit of a surprise to you today that professing Christians would be energized along by the devil to do his work is that a surprise you know we read about this really bizarre, strange thing that happened one day with Jesus and his disciples, and he was telling them all about what they can expect to happen. In fact, we read about it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. Jesus will make a number of these predictions, the same one, to his disciples that he's gonna to have to suffer and die and be raised to life, but don't worry, this is all God's plan. If you keep reading in verse 22, Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he took Jesus aside and he rebuked him, if you can imagine. He rebuked Jesus and he said, Never, Lord, uh uh-uh, uh, no way. This will, shall never happen to you. Do you understand what Peter's saying? Over my dead body, Jesus, is that going to happen? Never. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow, what in the world's going on there? did Satan actually take over Peter's body in that moment? I mean, was this Satan's, Satan moving Peter's mouth? Was this like some kind of a takeover here? What is actually going on? I, I wasn't there, so I, I couldn't tell you exactly. I couldn't even tell you that I understand every detail about it, but I do know this, that Peter in that moment had unknowingly aligned himself with Satan's agenda. If you think about it, Jesus, Peter's like, Jesus, there's no way you're gonna die. I am not going to let that happen. Let me tell you, friends, the one thing that Satan never wanted to see Jesus do was to die on that cross and come out of that tomb three days later. Why did he not want that? Because it was like the final nail into Satan's eternal coffin, wasn't it? That Jesus conquered death, he conquered the cause, all of that stuff. That's the last thing. That Satan wanted. He wanted to keep Jesus from the cross. And here comes Peter saying, never, Lord, are you going to the cross. And in that moment, I think unknowingly to Peter, Peter and Satan had the same message. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Satan, get behind me. Do not get in the way of God's plan. Do not get in the way of God's mission. Do not mess with God." Changing the world by forgiving the sins of the people. Now, I can't tell you uh, or even act like I know everything that was going on in that moment. But I can tell you this. The devil is crafty, isn't he? He's a deceiver. And his demons have one goal. And that is to keep as many people out of heaven as possible. To keep people out of the hands of Jesus and enter the saving graces of his family until he returns. That's their goal. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He is out to destroy the unity and the influence of the New Life Christian Church. He wants your marriage to fail. He's working hard against it. He wants your relationship with God to grow stale. And if you don't think he'll mess with your kids to get to you, then you need your antennas to be raised. This is what Paul said about the devil in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age, that's another reference to the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. His work, his method, the enemy, he's working hard to take those who aren't believers yet and to make it very difficult for them to become Christians. He's blinded them. Why else do you think evangelism is so hard? Why wouldn't somebody, when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that they can be forgiven of their sins, they can be in God's family forever, and they can live for eternity in this wonderful place called heaven, why wouldn't people run to that the first time that they hear about it? Because right now we live in the world where the enemy has blinded people by by making the secular look more appealing than the holy. But that's how he works. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 that Satan masquerades as an angel of lights. We understand that, but he's very deceptive. He is not what he seems. It's not what it appears. John 8, 44 calls the devil a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's pretty descriptive. Satan used a young couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They're some of the very first Christians. We learn about them in Acts chapter 5. And uh, the church, the Christians, they were selling property and land, and they were giving it all to the church so they could minister to more and more people and bring them into God's family. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they did that. They sold some land. But instead, they decided to keep parts of the money for themselves. And so when they came to the church to give their offering, they lied And they said, This is the whole thing. And therein lies was the sin. They lied about it. And so Peter confronted Ananias. And you know what he said in Acts chapter 5, verse 3? He said, Oh, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? See right there, Ananias knowingly or unknowingly aligned himself with Satan's agenda to deceive the church, to hurt the church. Paul said this to the elders in Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, he said, Even from our own number, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Friends, we cannot ignore the reality that Satan himself is behind so much of what we have been talking about for the last six weeks. These deceiving spirits and demons energized by Satan himself, easily hiding in, in plain sight at times, using people already in the church to destroy it from the inside out. Again and again, we're told in the Bible, especially like Paul to Timothy, you watch your life, you watch your doctrine closely. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, Paul says this to the Christians in the city of Corinth. For such people are false prophets, apostles, or deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be also what their actions deserve. So I believe that a lot of this drifting that we're seeing in the American church is a deception energized by the enemy. And this deception is all about compromise. This deception looks like appeasement. This deception looks like, hey, let's, let's be culturally harmonious with the world. Let's be accepting. Let's be all of these things. The exact opposite of what the Bible teaches Christians to do. Do the Christ, do this Bible teach Christians to love? Absolutely. Does the Bible teach us to embrace behavior that's an abomination to God? Absolutely not. I think it's short-sighted to think that Satan would only apply pressure from the outside, like it's a frontal attack and we can see him coming. No, I think that's short-sighted. I think the enemy works best when he can infiltrate the ranks and tear the church up from the inside out with things like compromise and appeasement mentality and cultural harmony and false teaching and all of those things. Now, with that perspective, it makes more sense why a church would fly the pride flag, from their church flagpole and endorse a lifestyle as acceptable for God when you understand that most likely what's going on is a deceiving spirit energized by Satan himself, has infiltrated the ranks of that church or denomination, twisted up God's word to confuse and destroy. With that perspective then, it makes more sense why a church would pull its anchor off of God's word would lower its view of the Bible. It's easier to understand when when there was most likely a hypocritical liar who has lost sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, who's being nudged along by the devil, who takes the mic on a Sunday morning or the floor at a Bible study and espouses doctrines that are clearly not taught in the Bible. During my previous ministry in Kansas City, I was at the office one day and we had a gentleman from our church, been around our church for quite a while, Stop by and and he gave me a CD. Do you remember those CDs? And on that CD was a recording of a sermon from another pastor in our community. And uh, when he gave me the sermon, he let me know. He said, hey, I just want you to know I've been attending this church too for quite a while. I, I come to Our church at the early service, and then I go over there and I attend that church during the late service. And man, I just love both of my churches. They're like the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And Pastor, he told me, I just wanted to share this sermon with you from my other pastor because it is the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. And I love listening to sermons, I listen to sermons all the time. And so it was fine by me. A few days later, I was driving in my car and I had about 30 minutes, so I popped that CD in my player in my car and I started listening and within the first two minutes my mouth hit the ground which that's hard to do these days friends it's like what did he just say let me sum up the sermon for you it was this pastors eight reasons for why it would be foolish for Christians today to accept the whole Bible as it is and he proceeded to explain to his congregation that people are different in a modern world, and how God sees things differently today, and that there are major portions of scripture that Christians today have falsely believed and followed, and that modern Christians have more understanding than first Christians did. And for the life of me, I could not figure out how this guy in our church could listen to me preach every Sunday and listen to that every Sunday and think they're the same message. So I circled back up with this guy in our church, and I shared with him my my thoughts on the sermon, the greatest one he'd ever heard in his life. He did not agree with me, and it did not take long for him to become agitated at everything that I did and everything our church tried to do until eventually he threw up his arms in frustration and left. To me, the sermon that I listened to that day is the very thing I think Paul is warning Timothy about. Deceiving spirits and and demons working through hypocritical liars trying to lead the church away from faith. Away from the truth. Away from the Lord's guidance and all of those things. This deception was not coming from a full-on assault from outside the church. This deception had risen up from within. I was recently watching a documentary... Do you like documentaries? I love documentaries. I was watching a documentary about the American military presence in Afghanistan and the drawdown of troops that's happening. And this film crew that was making this documentary, they followed um, the daily lives of some American soldiers and their attempts to turn the security of the country back over to the Afghan people trying to draw the war down. And so they uh, were training the Afghan security forces, working with local police, and, and turning that security over to them. So this film crew was following these soldiers, and uh, on this particular day, these soldiers were driving in their armored vehicles through uh, one of these villages or towns through Afghanistan, and a bunch of local kids came out, and they were throwing baseball-sized rocks at the armored vehicles. And as the documentary crew was inside the armored vehicle and they were filming this, you could hear the rocks go, dong, really loud. You know, it's made a lot of noise. And now a rock, even a baseball-sized rock, is not going to inflict a whole lot of harm on an armored vehicle. So they were careful not to accidentally run over any of the children who were in the streets and not do anything in retaliation that would be of lethal nature, being very careful And even though they were being pelted with rocks, the armored convoy just kept on going without much resistance. One of the soldiers that was with the group that day was discussing the rock throwing. And he was discussing how um, some of the dangers that are associated with that. He said, you know, what's really hard is you never know if a kid is throwing a rock or a grenade or some kind of explosive thing at you. Then, he said, a far more significant danger than kids throwing rocks has been trying to turn the security of this country back over to the Afghan people. And the reason is this. It's really hard to determine who is friend and who is foe. And what has been happening, they talked about how Taliban had been infiltrating the ranks of the security and the police. And the soldier got fairly emotional talking about those who had lost their lives to this kind of deception. Hostility from within. I think it's simil- a similar thing can happen to a church. People can say things... They can criticize the church. They can mock our faith. They can attack us from the outside. They they can make fun of us for all different kinds of reasons. But those things throughout the centuries have really added up to nothing more than rocks hitting the armored vehicle. The church keeps plowing ahead. It doesn't do much damage. However, the real danger comes from within. Deceiving spirits. Things taught by demons. Through the mouthpieces of hypocritical liars leading people astray. All of this being energized by the devil himself. Paul expressed great concern about this very thing to the Christians in Corinth. When he said in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he said, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. You know what he's referring to, right? The garden of Eden. The, the devil came and tempted her to eat that which was forbidden. So he said, I, I, I fear... Something similar to that could happen to the church, Paul says. The serpent is cunning and he will work on your minds to somehow lead you astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This enemy of ours is sneaky. And I don't know if you think about him very often. He's just like he, he is today, just like he was with Eve in the garden. He can make forbidden things look great and i see that at work in the church things that are forbidden all of a sudden look great and i think that's exactly what paul is saying here that he's going to pull your minds through this he's going to deceive you and pull you from your sincere pure devotion to christ that has been his game from day one it is still his game today now let's be very clear about something apart from the lord the enemy is stronger than you and i do you know that But here's the good news. We're not apart from the Lord, are we? No, we're not. Nor are we defenseless. We are sheep, but we are not helpless sheep. As I analyze, I think, the tactics of the enemy, I am pretty confident that the devil has taken his gloves off and he is not pulling any punches. He's coming at each and every one of us with everything that he's got. But guess what God lets us do? Guess what God lets his children do? He lets us punch back. Did you realize that? You may not realize it. You get to punch back. You are not the devil's punching bag. And I want you to turn to your neighbor and remind them, hey, you are not the devil's punching bag. Can you do that right now? Just say it to your neighbor. You are not the devil's punching bag. No way nowhere in the Bible do I ever read that we are just to sit there and take the best that Satan's got. Do you read that somewhere? Maybe you can tell me if you find it. I can't find it. We are allowed to fight back. It's it's okay to get a little bit aggressive. And you know what? You can partner up with God and together give the devil the beat down of his life. Do you know you can do that? You get to do it. Over the past few years, I've been working on my moves I have. I've gotten pretty good at a few takedowns. I've perfected one that's really good. I've, I've been good at uh, the dodge and counterpunch. The one-two. Sometimes I go a little southpaw. He doesn't see that coming all the time. <laughs> Taking a few hard shots. But I've landed a few hard shots too. And you know what? I don't think it'd be right for me to stand up here and talk about drifting churches and how the devil is the one who's really behind it all without showing you some of my best moves that I've been working on for years. So if you'd allow me before we're done, I wanna show you some of my best moves so that you can copy them and you can also put them into your daily life and practices. Now to do this, I need a little bit of a fight music. I need music. I need some stuff. You got some music for me? That's a good one. Yes, that's good. Thank you, Lord, for the good night's sleep. I needed it. Boy, I needed that, because you know, you know, Lord, the kind of day that I'm going to have. You know what's been in front of me, what's been building for weeks. Oh, thank you, Lord, for Diet Coke. Look at it, Fizz, Lord. Oh, that's good in the morning. Oh, Lord, help me drink more water than Diet Coke today. (laughs) Lord, I got a text message overnight. It's from the Smith family, and they're asking me to pray for their son. He relapsed last night. They're at the hospital, scared. Lord, I pray for him. He's a good boy. He's confused. He's hurting. Lord, I just pray you be with that family. They they need your presence, God. They they need to be assured that you haven't forgotten them. And I pray you be with their son. Lord, help him to overcome this addiction. Lord, I pray you be with my own kids. Lord, I pray you protect them from the, the evil that exists in this world. Help him be a good dad. You know, friends, you can't fight this enemy without talking to God. You can't fight this enemy and have any success if you don't have your Bible open, spend time in God's Word, praying to God, asking Him for help. You can't ignore God and expect to take the fight to the devil you ignore God you don't include him in your life you're just a punching bag of the enemy I'm reminded of what it says in Ephesians 6 where it says that our battle it's not what you think it's not See, you think a lot of times our battle is against people our battle is not against people our battle is not even against drifting churches our our battle is spiritual it's it's things that are unseen that's where this war is going to be fought and won so he says put on the full armor of God and I'm here to tell you that the armor of God looks a lot like this. We're in a spiritual battle, that's for sure. And that means you can't use weapons that are traditional weapons. You can't get in the ring and put on a pair of boxing gloves and expect to last five seconds let alone the 12 rounds of your life. No, we use different weapons. Prayer, prayer, God's Word. Lord, it's good to be with you today. Lord, help me take the fight to the enemy. Lord, I pray you surround me. Lord, protect me. Lord, you know what I have to do today, and you know I can't do it alone. I need your strength. I need your help. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you, Lord, how it lights my path, how it tells me what I'm supposed to do. Lord, when I read your word, you speak to my spirit. You give me peace in my heart about things. You help me discern right from wrong. And, oh, Lord, I I thank you for your word. Help me see today what it is you want me to see. Help me know today, God, what it is you want me to know. Lord, what's your word have for me today? I think I'll go to the Psalms. Here's a good one. Psalm 32.7. Oh, I needed this one. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Lord, <laughs> this whole time I thought the enemy was surrounding me, but really you're surrounding me. Here's one, Psalm 125, two, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. You're, you're with me forever. I needed that reminder. but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my back. This is how I fight my back. Psalm 33, 22. Your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Even as we put our hope in you, oh, Lord, help me hope on you today, all day. Lord I thank you for this today Lord I thank you for the reminder that you are with me that you surround me that Lord there's not a step that I'm going to take today that you're not right with me Lord I ask for your help Lord help me go about this day to be a bold witness for you Lord help me see right from wrong good from evil help me Lord always be your servant and that you can count on me Apologize to the women and children in this room for the graphic nature of this fight scene.